1: Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
0: One quick message before I start the show. You can find all the links and resources for this episode by visiting the show notes on rickyrichards.com. If you enjoyed this episode, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you can help me to grow the show by leaving a review on iTunes. For anyone who does subscribe, review, or share, thank you. I appreciate it. Now let's get into the show. Welcome to Ricky Richards Represents, the show where I talk tips for success with leading figures of creativity and innovation. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the podcast. My guest today is Don McKenzie, an editorial illustrator. Is that, can I accurately call that? Um, whose clients include The Guardian, The New York Times, Wired, Big Issue, The Observer, Radio Times and The Boston Globe, among many others. Dom also speaks and runs regular workshops to help those entering the industry. And his work has been featured in numerous exhibitions, including three solo shows and has won uh, also uh, an eclectic mix of awards. We're in very good hands today. Don, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Nice to meet you. Yeah, uh, I wasn't sure there with regards to Editorial Illustrator or not, because I know that you venture into other things as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's not my primary sort of source of income and the amount of work I get is generally skewed towards that. But I'm trying to sort of push on into a few more different things. I've just done a, a book for the Fitzwilliam Museum in Cambridge, which is like a kid's trail around the galleries, which is quite exciting. And I'd like to do more narrative stuff as well. So,
0: Oh, amazing. There we go. Yeah. Um, I thought I'd start off easy and ask you a question because I was informed that you'd actually been taught by a lecturer that I had also been taught by, Mr Pete Grobler. Yes. Uh, who's a previous guest on the show. Yes. So
1: uh, what's the story there? Well, he just did a workshop with us. So I studied at Cambridge School of Art, which is part of Anglia Ruskin. And uh, he just popped in one day and did a session on storybooks and picture books. And he was a really, really interesting guy. We had a very long chat about art, design, South Africa. Very thoughtful, really interesting guy and very, well, just such a mad experience. So many different things he's done in his life and he's only sort of middle age. He's still got way more to go. It's great. So what, did you, what was the one key takeaway you'd say from Pete? I think someone who just really thought along and hard and I think someone who, I, th- I don't know, I think the kind of intellectual side of illus- illustration is sometimes missed by people, you know, sort of thinking quite deeply about what you're doing, making sure there's kind of foundations and building blocks. And he was someone I felt like had those kind of intellectual building blocks as well as the kind of arty chops for the kind of work we were doing.
0: So that's actually my first question. So for people that have to explain to their parents like why illustration is more than just drawing a, a picture on a bit of paper like what is the why is illustration important why is this something that you should dedicate your life to where, where where's some of the depth for you
1: well I think it's the most democratic form of art isn't it it's the way we first where we first more well, most of us anyway encounter art and design through like picture books and you know sort of stories that we see on tv through like animations and things as well and i think i really like the fact that it kind of can appear in any way whether it's a magazine a billboard um you know a leaflet a flyer that you get i think sometimes fine art and it's not i don't knock it because it's some of my primary influences can feel a bit kind of shut away and elitist you know if you're not in the gallery you possibly won't see it or get the right kind of feel for it that you might do you know, seeing it in the street in a magazine or something you know an illustration so where what is the line for you between art and illustration? That's a tricky one um, I don't know i think uh, I think illustration is always trying to uh put over a point, and I think like fine art does that as well, but I think uh illustration is often uh explicitly trying to show a point where sometimes fine art can take a few bit more of a kind of long and winding road to get to that point. Which I think is maybe the main difference. You're trying to communicate directly the first time someone picks up the paper or the book or the you know magazine or whatever. Um, and I think you know fine arts more you know someone's own personal experiences that are trying to get across. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, for sure. The one thing I've always thought with art myself is. It, you know, oftentimes the conceptual stuff is easy to understand if only you explained it to people and oftentimes it's left to your own interpretation. And so I can see why, like you say, there's that there's that level there where people think this is too much for me and I don't get it or my child could do this and all these uh, clichés around people's interpretation of art. But illustration, as you, as you rightly say, feels
1: like a more democratic, uh, creative approach. Well, it's very direct and I think you're right. Sometimes fine art can be a little bit more let's say nuanced uh which has its place and can actually work quite well when you're trying to sort of deal with fairly sort of subtle feelings and particularly when you're uh, looking inside yourself for inspiration which I think is what a lot of fine art does you know it is a bit more tricky then to kind of be a bit more sort of disconnected from it to check that the viewer understands what you're saying you know you just you're almost taking what's inside of you and putting it out there in whatever form that takes whereas illustration you're considering what the audience wants uh, as well as what you want as well and the audience is almost as important if not more important than what you want to do in the drawing Uh, particularly for commission work although I think you know with personal work sometimes it can be slightly different and there is a bit more of that subtlety in there as well. Talking about commissions,
0: you have managed to to rack up quite a, a, an amazing roster of clients for someone, uh, uh, you're not like too young, but fairly young. Um, right. And I'm just curious to know like how you managed to form those relationships for someone who's an illustrator out there and they're looking to kind of be on the same in the same publications that you're in? How would they go about that? Well,
1: it's a cliche, really. I mean, I just kind of got in touch with people and said, here's my work. And some of them got in touch straight away and said, yeah, we'd like to work with you. And others were, you know, it was a bit more of a long slog and it was just constantly sending them new work and saying, uh, you know, here I am. I've done this work for these clients. Maybe you should consider me for your publication uh one or two of them came through instagram the washington post uh that was actually a relationship i formed through instagram and sort of other clients who recommended me um i think sometimes it's a myth uh you know you see these uh big uh illustration names and it looks like they kind of got there out of nowhere but often it's kind of a long slog that you don't see before they kind of get to this uh, big level where they're working with huge clients but I think it's just a bit of hard graft and just constantly being in touch constantly letting them know about new work and constantly updating them on what you're doing and looking like you're moving forward in your work as well. So do you approach publications or do you tend to go for art directors? Uh, it tends to be art directors uh, and I'll try and form a relationship with them. And I think it's no secret if you like the person or you can work with them and you've got this kind of relationship, then, you know, it makes everything easier and they'll tend to hire you again. Um, but generally, it's just kind of get like ringing them up or emailing them or sending them a letter uh, and just saying, yeah, here I am. This is the work I'm doing. And if you're doing good work, they're going to hire you eventually. It may not be straight away, but yeah,
0: you know. For, for people that are less familiar with the process, it's oftentimes uh, expected that the art director is the one that kind of comes up with the concept, and then they'll go yeah. to an illustrator and say that I want your uh, interpretation on this or at least your style. But very often it's like a, a straight up depiction of the concept. Um, how do you feel about that as a creative person? Do, does that frustrate you that you're not oftentimes coming up with the idea?
1: Well, I'd say I am, actually, particularly in editorial, uh, where they'll send you some copy or maybe a couple of lines about what they're looking for. Um, and then, um, you know, then you come up with maybe four or five ideas to send over to them, and the art director and the editor maybe will look through and say, yep, yeah, we like this one, work that one up. And occasionally they've got pointers. But it's one of the reasons I like editorial, because you are given so much creative freedom. When I first graduated, I thought for a while I wanted to do maybe advertising or something more designy, But I actually found that in the end, I didn't have that much creative control and it was actually quite frustrating to see projects sort of, you know, you're working on these projects and you can't quite kind of mould them into the way you want to, which is the nature of the beast, I think, in many ways, because you are working as a team rather than an individual. Um, But actually, I'd say, you know, Generally, particularly in editorial, you are working on your own. I think I haven't done as much, but I believe advertising and sort of design projects where you're working on larger scale or in sort of like uh brochures for big companies, perhaps there's a bit more of the the illustrator being a kind of hired hand, but generally, I find that uh yeah I've got a quite a good you know quite a good level of creative control
0: that's good um on that subject as well, you actually managed to sustain yourself as an independent creator. Yep. You you work out of a studio. This, I believe, is you know an aspiration for so many creative people to be able to pay their own overheads and to, to be their own boss to some degree. Um, how have you managed to do that? Is it you know anxiety inducing trying to get clients every month? Like, well, yeah, yeah. All, the, all the time, all the time.
1: Um, I mean, look, I think it, I, I whenever I speak to students, I always say it's the dirty little secret that a lot of on the face of it, very successful illustrators. And actually, I think musicians and filmmakers as well are often doing another job that they're just not really telling you about in the public sphere. And actually, don't be ashamed of having a job, you know, where you're earning other money to kind of, you know, push your own creative endeavours. I worked in a supermarket for quite a long time. uh, And it's only very recently that I'm starting to sort of tail that off and now fully, you know, embrace illustration. Um, But I think, you know, I think it's that feeling of being organised, time management all the standard things about being successful in any normal job but also then feeling like you you know you kind of know your own work after a while and you can kind of start targeting your work to the right art directors and also after well I've been doing this five years now you start to build up relationships with certain clients so they'll come to you for work rather than you always having to reach out to them as well um i've been very lucky in editorial work sometimes to be kind of like weekly columns or uh you know monthly slots uh, and i've got one for the big issue book review which is a weekly job which i can guarantee is that block of money every month and i also it's not quite every week but i do pretty much weekly for the observer comment page as well and they're just two things i can kind of rely on every month so i know if all else fails or maybe the work's a bit slow i've got enough money to keep going now i realize that's not for everyone but i find that eventually particularly if you're doing editorial a lot and you're specializing in that those sort of opportunities come up and it's about grabbing them and and going for that
0: yeah, that's great. I think that's an uh, awesome way to sustain yourself as a as an independent. One thing with that is, um, if you were to give other illustrators advice around the one thing that isn't actually technically the craft, it's the it's the business side of it. What is the one thing that you would say? You know, oh, that's really important to making yourself um, appealing to art directors and to publications and to sustaining your living. Do you mean in terms of
1: kind of promoting yourself? or Yeah,
0: because so, um, when I go to universities, there's so many talented illustrators, but what they often lack from my perspective is a commercial awareness or, or mm. an understanding, being able to sit and have a one-to-one conversation about what it is they bring to the table, for example. But you may have a, a deeper, better insight there.
1: I mean, I think, again, it's it's a, it's a, it's a tricky one, really, because, uh, again, when I I've spoken to students or people have asked me for advice, I've always kind of said... I'm kind of wary about saying there's, like, one magic bullet that's going to be the thing that, yes, this is going to get you a career. I mean, I think sort of fundamentally the same characteristics that make you successful in a job, say, in a bank or an office or, you know, whatever, an advertising agency, are going to be the same in illustration in that, Being professional is very underrated and just turning up on time. What's the Woody Allen line? All my success came from turning up, you know, just making yourself available. A lot of editorial work, particularly when I first started, um, came from someone being ill on a regular column or it would be uh, someone who... uh, You know, really last minute, we've got a job. It needs to be overnight. I had one memorable one. Actually, it was my first Guardian job where I was going for a job interview in London and I was up until two in the morning um, in Cambridge, finishing off my piece of work, sent the roughs over at like two or three, ran down to London, in two hours did the job and then ran to the interview and got there with like minutes to spare. Uh, And, you know, so I think sort of, I guess, professionalism, being available, And, you know, be willing to go that extra mile when necessary, which will take a different form than if you're in an office or something, say. Um, I think the other thing as well is having confidence about putting your work out there, even when you're not quite sure what it's about. Uh, I've done, like I said, I've done little bits bits and pieces of teaching and I've got friends who are doing it. Uh, And I think one of the things I noticed first off was the people who did really well were the people who, uh, you know, just kind of put the work out there and saw what happens. You know, the worst that's going to happen is no one's going to respond to your mail out. And to me, that says, OK, I need to work a bit harder and get the work out there. Um, but if you keep putting work out there, people you'll find an audience and people will start liking it. And it may take a year. It may take six months. It may take a month or it may take five years. But eventually, if you keep sustaining that and keep pushing on, I think people will see it and, and start.
0: So you say your mail out. Do you do physical mail outs or do you do on, online? Uh,
1: not really, but it's an evolving process. I don't know what the correct form is and art directors and designers tend to have different opinions on what they think works best Um, I've always found email works particularly well for editorial particularly in newspapers because they're so busy they don't really want lots of paper lying around and I mean I know myself you know you start getting letters and it just goes in a pile on one side Um, that said I've heard lots of people have done really well out of a really nice mailer Uh, I think probably more for designy stuff where you're looking for a really nice punchy image Maybe having that stuck up on the designer's wall might help. But again, I always feel quite bad. And I I don't want to sort of to your listeners, (laughs) like not give them the recommendation. But, you know, I think find what works for you. And I found generally email works better for me. But, you know, keep trying mailers, um, you know.
0: The illustration world as a whole is extremely crowded. Uh, What do you feel is your unique proposition?
1: Uh, My ideas and my thinking skills I think uh, the ideas I bring to the table are the things that will set me apart from other people, I think, I hope. The work I tend to get tends to be about kind of coming up with a concept for an idea. Um, And I think sort of within that kind of taking quite complex issues and understanding them very quickly. Um, I've done quite a lot of work for The New York Times where it's like, you know, two, three hour turnarounds. And it's about, you know, quite heavy stuff on Russia or USA or Trump or whatever. And just having that idea straight away to give to them uh, and something that's... Oh, and the other thing as well, having something that's quality in that short space of time as well, you know, it doesn't look rushed. It looks like I've just, you know, had all the time in the world to do it
0: as well. So there's there's one thing that I just want to pull out a little bit and it's based around... So the whole industry is a quick turnaround industry and oftentimes these, these images are so fleeting, they'll be in a magazine and then the next issue comes out and, you know, it's the... If you pick up the old one, you want to see the new one. So for some... In some respect, unless it's being archived, you lose the sense of your work. I mean, obviously, Mm. as a creator, you always keep hold of the stuff you produce. But um, does it bother you that these things tend to be fleeting to some degree? Uh, Yes
1: and no, which is not really an answer at all, is it? But I think uh, part of me quite likes the kind of ephemeral nature of it and the fact that, you know, it is quite fast turnaround. So you don't really dwell on your own mistakes. You just kind of keep going all the way through. On the other hand, like I mentioned, I'd like to do more narrative stuff and maybe books and things as well, because they do last a bit longer, having that sense of um, achievement that comes from having a book on a shelf that potentially someone could look at for 10, 20, 100 years afterwards. Who knows? Um, So, yes, it does and it doesn't. And I think it depends. I think particularly sometimes when you've had a really busy time doing lots of work one after the other you just like, oh, it'd be nice just to have a book that I could kind of pull off the shelf and sort of feel like, oh, yeah, that's mine. <laughs> but on the other hand, I'll do a longer project like this book for the Fitzwilliam Museum, and I'll be like, oh, I'm longing for a really short deadline where I can just get it done, get it out of the way, get home and, you know... Sit and watch the telly or go to the pub or something, which is not <laughs> being reductive about the, the work I'm doing. But, you know, sure. you, you, I go through different phases. Uh, and I think I have quite a magpie personality. I like to try lots of different things, which has its benefits and downsides. But um, I quite like having lots of different fingers and lots of different pies.
0: Um, like editorials as a medium in general, uh, you just briefly mentioned there about how you're having to digest these quite complex topics and, and then come up with a visual and an idea on mm. the fly. Obviously, because it's hand-drawn by you, there's going to be an element of you in there. However, words themselves can kind of invoke a different visual uh, style that you might want to apply to a certain illustration. As a creator who I think to some degree you're probably having to try and curate your image to say, like, this is what I'm about. Mm. How do you face that challenge of, you know, applying, say it is about Russia and maybe you want to pull in some some reference from uh, uh, what they called... um, wartime posters and, and, and those kind sure. of things. Yeah, you know how, how do you deal with that juxtaposition of visuals?
1: Well, I think... Um, I, I get, well, I guess in terms of uh, marketing yourself, you almost market yourself as someone who is kind of dispersonal and, and it's just about your ideas and your thinking skills. But I would actually say I'm quite unique in editorial illustrators in that I think my work probably has quite a, a personality to it because it's hand-drawn and a lot of editorial stuff tends to be on the computer, um, which I think... From a purely business side, has often actually maybe been a disadvantage because it's too much of me in it and less of the idea in there, and I think I've always kind of constantly evolving that style to to get to a point where I can kind of have my own style in there, but also something that's dispersal enough to fit the story um That said, I think I've never been too set on my visual style it's often been my thinking style, and that will come through and I think recently I've been more at peace with that kind of the push and pull between my own personal style and the kind of businessy, dispersonal style. So I did a piece recently for the Washington Post all about Trump and Russia and their connections and where they kind of overlap. And the idea I came up with was like a Venn diagram of like the silhouettes of Putin and Trump's head. Um, And originally it was just going to be two line drawings just put together with the headline in the middle but the more it developed and the more I kind of worked with the art director it just seemed to work as two block colours because the lines weren't quite kind of punchy enough you know particularly for a cover you want it to really jump off the page and actually ended up looking quite different to the rest of my style but then since then I've sent to other art directors and people I've worked with, they said, oh, you know, it's quite different, but I could still tell it with you straight away. So I think I think you get to a point where whatever you do sort of becomes your style because they know your train of thought or your thinking process. And it was quality as well. And I think maybe that's something I'm selling, I hope.
0: Think about Thinking about it now, that, that cover you did, it reminded me of um, the Kaspar, Kasparov uh
1: of oh, chess match, yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, is it George Lois who did that one?
0: Oh, I don't know. Maybe, quite
1: possibly. He's an absolute hero of mine. Yes. Maybe I was blizzard, uh, sort of um, you know, <laughs> channeling. channeling that.
0: Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Uh, no, but yeah, no. Just rung a bell. I was like, oh, it looked just like that. It was a good, good cover. So, if, in terms of you actually digesting all this information and coming up with something, like what, what's your approach there? Are you constant? Do you have an area of expertise that you like to 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 illustrate for?
1: Well, I um. I've always been interested in politics and I I think probably you end up getting the work that you're interested in. Uh, I've always been, I think not just the kind of, Politics as a uh, a general theme, but I've always been interested in the kind of mechanics of politics, so the idea of um, which is probably actually probably quite nerdy, but the idea of kind of how decisions are made. So it's not obviously not just a politician coming up with an idea and passing a vote. It's about people negotiating and all the little deals down the side. I love like House of Cards and West Wing and that kind of stuff as well. So I think I do tend to get a lot of political work, and I, I you know I read the paper a lot. I'll you know read periodicals about politics for fun. Um, but I think the skills that I'd use for a political piece are the same that I'd use for a science piece. And I think it's actually a bit like the skills you have for like an English exam, which sounds crazy, you know, sort of comprehension, you know, reading through a document very quickly and pulling out the key ideas. I was told very early on uh, at college by a tutor that the best way to cut to, um, work out what a, a script or an essay is saying. It's just read the introduction and the conclusion because the writer's had to sum up what they're saying and introduce what they're saying. And the middle is really just kind of padding for the, the main idea. Now, again, that's quite reductive for a writer, and I don't mean that at all. And I think the kind of contextual information is important, but really what you're trying to do is drill down to that, that f- like the fine point of the idea. Um, and generally, the themes that come out are the same across a variety of different things. It's just the themes that are different. It's that thing, you know, there's only five stories and the way they're told is all in different ways, I think.
0: So politics in general, it's a a massive thing right now. So I suppose that's probably done quite well in terms of you getting more work, is that politics seems to be the more so than the, even the showbiz industry it's it's in popular culture
1: well every cloud has a silver lining and i definitely <laughs> milk for that silver lining <laughs> as yeah. well more than anyone um but no i mean i think um you know for someone who's interested in politics it's a fascinating time although albeit you know quite um quite turbulent and i don't necessarily agree with you know a lot of what's happening in the world at the moment um but yeah, it's been it's been really good for me. And I think what's been really interesting, I was reading a piece recently about how after Trump got elected in America, the New York Times and the Washington Post like doubled their subscribers, maybe even more. And I think people want that um, sort of uh, authoritative voice that comes from these kind of august titles, which perhaps prior to this were maybe seeming a little bit stuffy, a little bit old-fashioned. And I think possibly that comes a little bit from being in print and that kind of feeling of... I don't know, it has a certain... Premium quality to it. Yeah. Uh... And it's the depth of editorial...
0: It's the depth of the... the Well, the journalism, right? They go a bit further
1: than other people do, especially online. Where... Well, they've got so many resources to sort of, um, you know, dig down into a story. And you, you. I feel like, although, you know, every... no publication is perfect, you sort of um, know they've kind of fact-checked as much as they can. You know the stories are going to be as verified as much as possible. I mean, of course, there are people like BuzzFeed who are doing great work as well, and the Huffington Post. Um, you can't rule out any of your potential Well, clients. exactly, you know, yeah art <laughs> <laughs> director's listening, I'll take the work. But, um, you know, I, I just think that, like, print is a really... It feels very permanent. It feels very, like, you know, they know what they're doing. It feels very... Um, I'm searching for the right word here. Do you know what I mean? It feels very... Uh,
0: I, I I think I get it, exactly what you mean. Yeah, and I, yeah. I also can't find the word, but... Um, for you, when you're receiving these briefs and you're reading through the article and every publication has their own political stint sure. um, or steer in some way, I'm sure you know your work will inevitably reflect on your own values and opinions. What do you do if you have something and you're like, do you know what, I don't quite believe in this?
1: It's a tricky one. Again, I had a, a tutor at college who told me that uh, when you graduate, you can't afford to have morals. And I'm not sure I quite agree necessarily with that but i think you know you've got to be realistic about making a living particularly in a world where you know although as we talked about new york times is increasing subscription generally people are reading a lot more online free publications things like that as well i think i've sort of made a rule with myself that i'll accept most work but you know if something's really obnoxious or just really you know not against my values then um i'll turn it down but i i've never turned down a piece of work um that i've disagreed with uh because i've never been offered anything like that and i think maybe your values come out in your work and actually i've been very lucky to work with pretty much all the publications i work with i'd be proud to say yeah i work for these these names because they all have quality journalism quality writers uh and the pieces they write sort of you know more or less coincide with my values
0: so you, you briefly touched on a minute ago around the fact that these publications, a lot of them are transitioning online. Where do you feel that leaves uh, illustration? And do you feel like it will transition well onto
1: online? or? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, I, I believe so. Maybe that's me being biased. I mean, I think... The thing with illustration is there's a place for it everywhere because a really strong image, whether it's a poster or a a piece for a newspaper, is always going to be strong, whether it's online or in print. I think the thing perhaps that is always holding back illustration is it's a bit more of a gamble for the person commissioning it because I think with a photo there's a certain feeling of like safety with it you kind of know what you're going to get from it if you commission uh, a photo of a horse say for example you know you know you're going to get a horse that looks like a horse whereas with the drawing it's a bit more like or what are the outcomes going to be which is very understandable and so I think maybe you know illustrators maybe need to get better at kind of showing why illustration is so good as a, a medium for communicating I'm not sure how that would happen uh, but I think the thing, the only thing holding back illustration is maybe that kind of, scary is the wrong word, but kind of feeling, oh, if we commission an artist, and it doesn't quite work out what we're going to do then. And that's that's not against any editors or, or art directors. I just think there is that little bit of a leap so it, into the unknown with it. Is there
0: something there to do with the fact that, do you ever release your work in phases in your, your early scamps, for example, and then as it develops? Or do you try and hold off because it's going to scare the client even more if they see a half-baked illustration?
1: Uh No, no, I'd never do that. I mean, you know, I think when when you're commissioning, when you're commissioned to do something, generally the, the process is they'll ask you for a piece of work. You come up with four ideas. And at that stage, that's when they decide whether they like the image or not. And generally, there's not so much back and forth. It tends to be, here's the final piece, if you like it that's great if you don't there'll be some revisions but there's not like a kind of conscious effort to show them a half finished piece unless the time is a bit of the essence and they just want to get an update um i think I, yeah yeah <laughs> i mean i hope that's I, I no no, like no. i
0: think i think that's right i just i'm trying to pull out any insight here that would help an inexperienced illustrator to to go through the process cause, you know, I've experienced illustrators that have done revision after, revision after revision after revision and it's not necessarily the most healthy thing. And if, they, if a client sees an early version and gets put off by it, it's good to know what these processes are like. Yeah. In the second half of the interview, I wanted to dig deep and ask Dom about his interpretation of the importance of illustration. In a world that is so politically charged, there are numerous examples of illustration playing a role in shaping the narrative either prior or after the event. And as someone who predominantly earns his living from political editorial illustration, I felt it would be interesting to get Dom's take on this topic. Um, so moving on slightly, one thing that I wanted to, to touch on was just the fact how illustration has had prevalence throughout history. And just growing up, I had a fascination with religious iconography for some reason, and religion had mm. a lot of... Um, a lot of visual imagery, a lot of illustration, and it tended to have extreme levels of depth and there'd be all these depictions of, like, say, animals and they they would have different meaning. And I wonder if we're losing um, a lot of depth in our work today versus then. And where do you think illustration stands now with your perspective of the industry as
1: a whole? Uh, I'd actually disagree with that. I think... uh... I guess it all comes down to purpose again. I think, I guess, with a lot of religion, like religious iconography, um, and I assume here you're talking about things like frescoes or uh, stained glass windows. Yeah. Um, they were originally designed for people sitting in church, uh, you know, with a Latin mass, uh, and the, you know, normal provisioners wouldn't actually understand the Latin, so it's a way of kind of telling these stories. And by their nature, you'd be sitting in there for an hour, two hours, and so they can have a depth because you're looking at them the whole way through you know you, you've got time to kind of absorb them and sort of take them in and i guess it's the same with the religious pieces that are you know were commissioned by lords for their castles you know you'd be sitting there you have time to take them in i think the difference with from that to now is that we've got uh, a different way of consuming images so i think even in kids books uh we're only a you know, we have got so little time to kind of absorb them. They need to be a bit punchier and a bit more sort of um, instant in that how they get across what they're they're trying to say. Um, that said, there's some great artists and illustrators out there who do more sort of detailed, um, uh, more absorbing work. It takes a bit more time to have a look at.
0: I think uh, Miss Is it Sean Tan was one that uh... Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Yeah. it it gets brought up quite a lot. His work has quite a lot of depth to it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, books... uh, I guess illustration is slightly different in that uh, it's split into different areas. And I think editorial has to be quick and fast and snappy, um, whereas I guess a book is is experienced slightly differently. I mean, there's some fantastic um, sort of comic book illustrators who I think, you know, you can take a bit more time to really just absorb how brilliant their work is. Um, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, Isabel Greenberg's work is fantastic, and you kind of, there is a depth to it. That perhaps you don't get an editorial which again isn't reductive about that work but it, it, it's experienced in a different way um, but you know I mean I think I, I think there's, a, there's still a depth and I think you know uh, um, a sort of single uh, insight from an editorial illustration still has depth because it's kind of drilling down into the subjects it's just not kind of layered in the kind of visual sense it's more in the kind of intellectual sense? This is uh,
0: quite a, a, a big question and one that maybe we can't answer right now but uh, you seem like someone who's fairly well educated on art history and, mm-hmm. and uh, the creative creative uh, eras and so you know we've gone through constructivism and Dadaism and all these different eras of, of creative expression and I'm curious to know you know when we look back on our era that we're mm. in right now what is going to be the thing that we're remembered for and what are we going to point to? And do you think that what you do um, is going to be part of that?
1: Uh, I don't. Well, I don't think my work personally will be. I mean, I guess I'll, it's funny, isn't it? You know, when you're within an era, for want of a better word, you, you sort of don't notice what's kind of evolving. I mean, I, I would have thought uh, digital expression and digital art um, of every form... Um, would be something that's kind of pulled out as and, and how kind of digital art has transformed the traditional arts as well so you know I'm thinking of a lot of illustrators who maybe paint and draw their initial work and then scan it in and manipulate on the computer that'll be something that will be seen in a lot of people's work Um and how that evolves I don't know and whether we have a lot more moving image and sort of the still image is seen as quite vintage I don't know Um, I mean, it's funny looking at the 90s, the amount of people who were just experimenting with computers and how now we almost sort of go, oh, that's so easy, I could knock that up in five minutes on Photoshop. But um, at the time, probably seemed absolutely groundbreaking. So I guess, uh, yeah, digital, digital work, I think. Interesting, yeah. I guess there'll be politics as well. I I think there's a lot more people who are doing politics and i don't necessarily mean that in a sort of protest way but i mean uh you know sort of there's a greater awareness of feminism and and the role of of women in society and how uh how that's largely been something that's perhaps not being explored as much in in art and now there's lots of fantastic female illustrators who are doing great work and there was that really good um women who is it women who draw or women who work uh website which wasn't necessarily political in the sense that it wasn't protest art, although there was some on there, but it was a a group of illustrators in New York who had banded together and said uh, women aren't represented enough in the arts and in particular in illustration and design and we want to bring together everyone who wants to be part of this and this is kind of like a one-stop shop for fantastic female illustrators and, you know, sort of representing the kind of creativity there as well. So I think politics and a greater awareness of things that are inherently political but not kind of like protest art if that makes sense
0: on the subject of politics there's been you know a huge amount of political unrest especially in the uk there's been all kinds of things that have been going on a lot of your images they they are in the politics arena yeah Uh, i'm curious to know like what's the most what's the strongest reaction anyone's ever had to a piece of your work
1: well i think because i'm always responding to someone else's idea i've never had a really like Aggressive or strong sort of support for an image because I'm always kind of piggybacking on someone else's thought process. Um, But I've done pieces of work that uh, respond to an article that might have sort of caught fire in a certain political climate. So I did a piece uh, sort of end of last year all about uh, the, uh, I don't know if he's the president or prime minister of India and how. He was almost like an early Trump in that he sort of used reality television and sort of created this environment around and using big business and sort of religious nationalism. Um, And the piece was all about how he'd kind of built his reputation on this. And he was quite a dodgy character in the the view of this, this writer and had come to prominence on the back of it. Uh, And he was seen as a bit of a no-hoper until he became a leader. And I did a a piece uh, which was like a a Make India Great Again hat and quite a bit of sort of uh, online trolling for it. But actually it was quite good because I quite enjoyed sort of responding in a very polite way, I might add, uh, and just sort of saying, you know, I didn't write it, you know, go speak to this guy. But it had been picked up by a few magazines and newspapers in India and... I guess in a way, rather than be upset about it, I was quite pleased that a piece of work I'd done was having more of an impact than just someone flipping open the paper and going, oh, that's a nice piece of work. That's rule number one, don't engage with trolls normally. So did you have a positive experience? I (laughs) I didn't have a positive experience in that I I was never going to change anyone's mind, but I quite enjoyed, as I don't normally get any interaction other than just, oh, that's a nice piece of work. It was quite nice to say to them, you know, this isn't my uh, piece of work. You know, I think you've been quite impolite here you know I'll point you towards the the client and you can speak to them um but generally it was positive in that i wasn't sort of engaging in a sort of verbal jousting or anything like that
0: this is uh quite a dark place to go to coming towards the end of our our interview but it's just it's a fascinating thing and i was interested to get your opinion on it so a couple of years ago obviously there was the the massive incident in france with the charlie hebdo mm-hmm. um a, what do you call it, a terrorist attack I guess mm-hmm. where uh, for people that aren't familiar basically they depicted a number of pictures um, that had basically ended up getting them in, in, in this circumstance where a lot of people ended up getting executed inside their offices uh-huh. um, you know, if you were given a brief that was to depict a religious figure or something you know, where is your position on that the fact that, that they had such a big reaction and as somebody who's in the political illustration space, I'm
1: guessing that you would have had your opinion on, on what happened uh, there. That's a hard one, isn't it? Because I think... Uh, well, I, I don't think I'd do it personally. I think, you know, um, nothing's as important as your health or, you know, it's, it's not worth being targeted for something like that myself. Um, but I think there should be space for... Freedom of expression, whether that's you know drawing what Charlie Hebdo did or drawing what um, you know whatever, um, and I think it's a it's a dangerous one that I don't really have an answer to. I don't know how an illustrator decides what they do and what they don't do, um, but I personally wouldn't. And
0: that, to 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 you the point you just made around the fact that you know to some degree you enjoyed the. The interaction with an audience member because it was culturally evocative, and I think in the Charlie Hebdo uh, circumstance, obviously their their magazine isn't just (laughs) satirical, isn't just a (laughs) satire of just uh, the the Islamic religion. It's everyone, and that that subset of society just happens to have a much bigger uh, reaction to it. but do you feel like there's more to, to your job than just depicting uh, the words on a page or do you feel like you can have a bit more of a social impact?
1: Uh, well, no, I think because, you know, at the end of the day, it's... it's you know lines on a page and that sounds awful funny enough actually I did a talk about this uh about a year ago called can illustration save the world and it was talking about the impact of images particularly with relation to politics and particularly last year with you know the france attacks and things like that as well so I was talking about people like hogarth in the 1700s and how a lot of his work was very socially sort of aware and sort of satirical uh and then sort of moving on right through to to jean julien and the um Do you remember the uh, Paris attack? uh, Yeah, the viral uh, piece, and I I sort of concluded ultimately that although uh, they can sort of um, give shape to grief and the feelings of our feelings around a subject, at the end of the day, it's up to people to actually do what they want to do. And I hope that doesn't sound cynical. No, but I think you know you've got to be realistic about what you can do, and I think. You know, I, th- I I feel like with the um,
0: sorry, I don't know the artist's name that the chap that did the hope the hope logo yeah uh, John Julian with the yeah. in, featuring the the Eiffel Tower yeah that to me was you know it's after the event so there's a lot of uh, media hyper in that in that <clears throat> moment in time mm-hmm. and so he managed to kind of ride the wave of, of of that media attention it's a little different when your thing is the thing which actually sparks the the ignition in the first place i i I've, i always think about the the obama hope campaign that mm, um the shepherd fairy shepherd fairy thing did and, and wonder if you know did that encapsulate
1: but that was the point i was making that it's encapsulating a feeling that was already there yeah. and i think that's what i mean uh i think you know whether it's the the shepherd fairy piece or the the jean julien thing you're encapsulating a feeling that everyone has that they can't quite process or quite can't quite comprehend you know so obama when he uh came up as a candidate he was the sort of hope and change candidate and it was a kind of feeling of sort of exhalation of like relief thank goodness we've got this person who's looking to the future positivity and it was this kind of like jumble of feelings that kind of had a voice in obama but didn't really have a face and it was quite a good way of kind of latching on to quite a good image to latch on to and say yep this is what I mean, hope. This is what we're looking for, you know. Eight years of Bush, finally. We've got someone we can look forward, look to the future. And I think Jean Julien's was a similar thing in a different way in that, you know, when we everyone saw the TV pictures, we all sort of... Well, I certainly I was. I was a bit numb. I didn't really know what to think. You know, it, it just felt like it was one after the other, like these images of horrific scenes of different things. And I, I felt sad, but I, I wasn't quite sure... But I wasn't I wasn't like in grief. I was like, well, you know, I think we've got to stand up to this and we've got to think about how we go where we go from here. And I think that was what was good about his image was it was remembering Paris and thinking, yep, yeah, we're with Paris, but also, yeah, there is hope after this, we've got to keep going. And I think the point I made in this talk was that an image on its own can't do everything ever you know it needs people behind it and I, I guess coming right back to the start of our talk it's all about the thought behind the image and bringing those thoughts together and i guess that's where illustration is so good it can encapsulate feelings and ideas and whether it's someone like me who's taking an idea that's been written down in an article or whether you're a cartoonist and you're bringing your own sort of personal opinion to something um you know it kind of gives a face a voice an image to a, an idea or a vision
0: I think that's a really, really good way of looking at it. It kind of reminds me of, I feel like best-selling authors, people like Malcolm Gladwell uh, you know, also, and yeah. Seth Godin, they're also very good at this kind of thing where they observe what's going on in the world and then they put a name to, to a phenomenon that already pre-exists and, and package it in a way that yeah. makes it very easy to understand. Um and so, yeah I've never looked at illustration like that, but I, I believe you, you you're correct there um just to go on a light note before we go into the quick yeah. fire questions, like where do you foresee your career going? What kinds of projects would you love to do? Hopefully we can through this, we can help you hook you up
1: well yeah, hope so well um I, so I'd like to do more editorial illustration I've still got clients I'd really like to work for, and I do really enjoy it it's It's not sort of a chore it's it is my main income, but it's something I really, really like doing, and I love the kind of intellectual uh you know, sort of work that goes on behind it. And I love, you know, quick ideas. But I would love to do narrative work. And I think, like most people, picture books is where they started out. Uh, and I've I've done my own sort of handmade uh, books uh, and narratives. Uh, and I'd like to work on a more longer form one. I've done sort of like 12 spread images, but sort of a longer form comic would be fantastic. And
0: is that something that you've written yourself or are you looking for stories?
1: Well, I've got some stories at the moment uh, and I'd like to sort of develop them a bit further on uh, and I've got one idea that I think could be quite good um, but I think you know I've always learnt with this job that you know don't don't be too sort of set in your ways because you'll never know where it's going to evolve to but a, a long form book whether it's a comic a story or a, a children's book would be fantastic
0: So let's get into some quick fire questions Okay uh, you'd already briefly mentioned a uh, comic book illustrator, but could you name drop a few illustrators that you particularly admire, people that are worth giving oh, a Oh, yeah, for to? sure.
1: Yeah, uh, Christoph Neiman, Bob Gill, Milton Glazier, uh, Gerald Scarfe, uh, Jean Julien, Olympia Zagnoli. Um, there's a guy called Mitch Blunt uh, working in England who's very good. Um, oh, there's there's Ren, there's, there's Ping Zhu. She's very good as well. Um, yeah. Brilliant. That's uh, more than enough for people to check out there. Uh, favorite film
0: or documentary?
1: Favorite film's got to be Spinal Tap, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and favorite documentary? Uh... Oh, I don't know. Oh, I really like that George Harrison one. The um, the the uh, Steven Spielberg. Uh, not seems um, to. Martin Scorsese, Um, I can't remember what it was called now, it was like a two and a half hour thing, but that was really good.
0: Right, (laughs) we'll try and find it through the names. Um, Book or learning resource that you recommend?
1: Oh, uh, Bob Gill So Far. And it's a book of all his design work and uh, work so far. He's like an illustrator, designer, who sort of started in the swinging 60s in London and now works in New York. And quite caustic, quite um, quite brash, quite New Yorker, but absolutely hilarious and just an absolute masterclass in sort of ideas, illustration and design. And an event that people should attend. Glastonbury. Ah, very good.
0: <laughs> uh, so before you go and before you answer the final question where can people
1: get hold of you and uh, do you have any asks for the audience uh, you can get hold of me at uh, dommckenzie.com so that's uh, www.dommckenzie.com dot dot uh, and any asks for the audience any work you've got going on at the moment I know you said you've got an open
0: house at in, uh... oh
1: yes of course yeah. so I've got uh, um, an exhibition of some of my paintings on uh, uh, Hankney Down Studios which is in Clapton just off kingsland road and that's open till the 6th of september um feel free to come on down it's just in the uh the hallway uh and they're more sort of uh personal pieces they're not so political they're dusk and dawn so sunrises and sunsets lovely and
0: so final 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 question uh if you could give the world one piece of advice to live a better and more meaningful life what would it be
1: oh that's a that's a big question isn't it it is um I guess think before you do. You know, just take a couple of seconds to think before you dive into something. A couple of seconds. You don't give them that much time to think. Well, you know, we took an editorial illustration here. We don't want to be too, uh, too. you know, you've got to get stuff done. But yeah.
0: yeah, maybe just think a second before you... Great advice, great advice. Dom, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you really very much. I really it. enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks very much. And uh, everyone, uh, thanks for listening. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and share. I'd also like to invite you to an ongoing project called the Move Me Mailing List. If you enjoyed the show, I'm confident you'll enjoy this newsletter. It contains links to all the great content I've uncovered each month, along with insights of any interesting opportunities I've discovered. You can subscribe to this by visiting my website at rickyrichards.com. A special thanks to Frankie Byrne and James Utting, they're the tech heads that make this show possible. The intro music was composed by Dom Storrs Fox. And thanks again to Reese Chapman for introing me to Lou and Lizette, the wonderful folks at Factory Studios in London, where this show is recorded. Finally, wherever you are in the world, I hope you have a great day and keep creating. Until next time, bye for now.